0: Well, I mean, it's either a privilege or it's a little bit dangerous. When Phil said, oh, just uh, preach on essentially whatever you want. <laughs> and, um, but then he did actually have an idea about something that I'd already shared uh, with the team. And actually, I've probably shared a little bit in different conversations. So apologies if uh, any of you have heard little bits of this, although I hope that it will also um, kind of unpack a little bit more and I just want to caveat as well that um, I am way more in my inner life an artist than I am like a scientist, right? So uh, are there any scientists in the room? Okay, yeah, there's a few. So, okay, so I'm just going to ask you, can you bear with me? Because uh, this isn't going to be um, a straight up kind of, I'm going to give you these five points and by point six, you're going to be totally convinced. This is something that has been on my heart for years, and it's something about the subtlety of the ways in which both God reveals Himself to us, but also how we have a bad habit of uh, separating ourselves from Him. So that's my little caveat. Two weeks ago, my amazing wife preached on prayer before prayer week. And then uh, we had Church Planting Sunday last week, and we had Bishop Rick come and speak to us, which was great. So this is it doesn't happen in many churches, but three bishops in a row, uh, because you get me today, and um, obviously Carrie and I are like proper bishops because that's our surname, and Rick had to you know adopt that when he was consecrated in some big uh, London cathedral somewhere. I don't know St Paul's, something like that. Um, so it's great to be able to share. And, do you know, I got so excited. Prayer week was just a really, uh, it was an amazing time. Thank you for those who, you know, got up, who said yes to that inspiration to we will pray. Um, and to all of us who kind of went with what it means to push in in those ways, to allow ourselves to be grown a little bit by God in something that we've probably done all our life, and whether you've been a Christian all your life or or not, you've probably done that, right? I love that, that we don't pray just because we're some kind of good religious people. We pray because we're human, because that is how God has made us, because we pray. When we interact with God, we pray. Because God, who who is our Father in heaven, has made us. So our relationship with him, our conversations, our ums, our ahs, our ah, whatever they might be, are all like wrapped up in this this phrase, pray. Actually, actually, it's not a very adequate word (laughs) for the amount of stuff that it incorporates, encapsulates, and draws us into, that God would want relationship with us that the God who made us sees and witnesses the ways in which we as humanity have separated ourselves from him, made choices which have had consequences, and yet, then in Jesus, we see the evidence of God who says, I am coming to get you. I am coming to rescue you. I am going to do enough so that nothing can separate you from my love. Not fear, and nothing uh, like nothing else. I should be able to quote. There's a great piece, Romans eight. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, like nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. You want evidence for what, what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know if God's real? Look at Jesus. You want to work out who God is? Ask Him. Pray. Spend time in that. And we did that last week. There were some amazing themes that came out. Breakthrough, freedom, increased trust in God, healing for our area and for London and for our nation and different nations that we represent, hope. Amazing themes bubbling up as we've prayed as a church. And actually, that really resonates uh, with stuff that I want to share this morning as well. Um, So, I have a confession to just share with you. I like birds, and um, I've liked birds for a long time, since I was young. I was part of something, this is where you can breathe a sigh of relief, uh, called the Young Ornithologists Club, which was the, um, I think, uh, 16 and below club part of the RSPB. And um, I still remember getting my first pair of binoculars. Yeah. And, um, and I, I had a little badge from the Young Ornithologist Club, a little badge, which was like a falcon. And I pinned that on my uh, binoculars case. So you can imagine Mark Bishop as a little boy in his tank top. Uh, <laughs> going round with his little kind of um, binocular case. Just in case, I saw a chaffinch. (laughs) Or a sparrow. Or something more rare. We had a pied wagtail in our garden the other day. Amazing, incredible, incredible stuff. Do you know birds are amazing? Anybody else like birds here? Just like, come on, this is a good, this is a safe place. You can declare this. Yeah, okay. it's like, there is amazing. And London is just a hive. I mean, Shadwell, you get all of these uh, kind of different uh, water birds that are around as well. The basin, just incredible. For those of you who've never heard me speak before, you'll get to know that this is also part of my humour. So I'm I'm building up to something. Don't worry, just to to make you feel safe. So uh, I do, I I just think they're amazing. And um, one of my favorite birds, the swift. The swift looks a bit like a a swallow and um, flies at amazing heights and actually incredible bird. Do you know it it can go 10 months without landing? 10 months. So it eats on the wing and it can sleep while it's flying. The swift, an amazing bird, an amazing bird. The Arctic tern very famous bird, uh, longest migration in the world, 90,000 kilometers, it's about 55,000 miles I think each year. It goes from the North Pole to the South Pole and back again in its migration. Incredible bird. Like who does that? Who, who has a home in a cold place in the North Pole and then when it starts to get a bit warmer then goes down all the way as far as you can possibly go to go to another cold place you know but anyway the arctic tern does every year in their droves incredible birds incredible birds this is like the kind of extra bit of my confession my favorite birds and this is controversial if people don't like this it's okay i like pigeons yeah you see this is the reaction that happens oh it's very difficult isn't it in art in london especially so okay i'd like a show of hands please who likes or is okay with pigeons? I'd like such a minority. Wow. Who doesn't like pigeons? Yeah, okay. There's a lot of you. Okay, so this is going to be the most difficult for all of you who don't like pigeons this morning. Do you know, pigeons are actually amazing. Do you know that 32 pigeons have something called the Dickin Medal, which is a military medal because pigeons in World War One and World War Two were so essential to the communication of messages, there were pigeons who had like names because they were so famous. Commando, one of my favourites, uh, because he flew over 90 missions through gunfire and everything, and managed to deliver messages which saved human lives. Incredible. And there were others as well, incredible uh, birds in war. And of course, pigeons have this long history. In fact, there is archaeological evidence for pigeons being part of kind of societies uh, going back to like 4,500 before Christ, BC, Uh, because they were good for food. They were good for domestication and carrying messages, all of these different things. Pigeons are fascinating and amazing pigeons are able to find their way home from over 1300 miles away, 1300 miles away. And that, when they've been in a box, not watching where they've been going and kind of writing it down, tracking it on their mobile phones, uh, but just because of the given senses that they've got, they can find their way home. They are amazing. Now, we have a history, obviously, with pigeons in London. Ken Livingston, one of the former mayors, famously coined or just reinvigorated uh, the phrase flying rats. So for some of you, that may be how you feel about a pigeon. They're a flying rat. I'm just going to say to you now, there's no evidence that they carry disease. So that's one thing that um, is untrue. Um, But uh, um, there's some pretty mangy pigeons in London, right? Isn't there? And uh, there's some, you can see them limping along if they've got one and a half legs uh, or hopping along if they've only got one leg. Uh, They can be in really bad state. But then there are some amazing pigeons as well. And we see them in all their diversity. I know what you're thinking. What on earth has this got to do with being in a church and listening to the word of God? But let me read to you Mark 1, starting at verse 9. This is actually part of the Anglican liturgy uh, for like about two weeks ago, part of the epiphany season. Uh, This is the account of Jesus' baptism. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a pigeon. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. This translation, there's something uh, like up there. Um, so uh, this is my revelation to you this morning, is that the word for dove in the New Testament and in the Hebrew of the Old Testament could just as easily have been translated as Pigeon. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that for some of you, me included at different points in my life, that feels slightly offensive. Because throughout our history, we see that the dove who descends on Jesus, the bodily form of the Holy Spirit, is the white dove. The white dove, the pure dove, the white dove, the dove who symbolizes peace, hope, hope. And we think too, right, back to where's there a dove, famous dove in the Old Testament, Noah, the dove that finds land. And we read in our translations of the Bible, the dove returns. And we know it, right, the white dove with the twig in the, in the mouth, uh, bringing back the evidence of the land uh, restored by God. But this is my revelation to you, is that it could just as easily have been translated as pigeon, as pigeon. The Greek word is uh, peristeran. And, uh, you know, actually in many different languages uh, outside of the English language, there is only one word for dove or pigeon. It's the same word, same thing. And um, and so we, we enter into not, not something that I'm trying to kind of prove to you this morning. Do you know what? I'll just let, let, you, let you into a secret, you know. Uh, I don't I don't really, I'm not trying to argue that it was definitely a pigeon that looked like a London pigeon, the Holy Spirit appearing at Jesus' baptism, or a white dove. But what I think I want to push us on this morning, my thought for us this morning, uh, the thing that I feel is important as we are a people who experience and want to live out and be guided by the Holy Spirit, is that we have an amazing ability to make the images of God into something that we can never touch. That is rare to the point of we might never be able to have it. We make them other. But my understanding and my experience of God is that God pushes into the real. God is the God who steps into our realities. And so I just want to unpack it a little bit, playfully it may be this morning, uh, of that stuff, the image of the dove and the pigeon. So uh, ornithologically, in the study of birds, uh, the pigeon or the dove, uh, the translation of that Greek word, we would, it would best be described as a rock pigeon or a rock dove. Again, interchangeable in that way. Uh, but it's interesting, a little bit later in Mark, when Jesus is turning over the tables in the temple, he, uh, in the, all of the English translations, it's translated as, Jesus turns over the tables of those who sold pigeons. So the word pigeon, you can you know Google it, put it on Bible Gateway, whatever you want to do, uh, go into your English translations, and you can find it there. He turned over the tables of the pigeon sellers. And then we find it throughout lots of pigeons in Leviticus in the Old Testament uh, because they were the kind of um, the most affordable offering in the temple system in the Jewish world. But it's so interesting because when we look at the English translations, why does it translate the people, the bad people, Jesus is turning over their tables, the people who sold the pigeons in the temple? Why is that pigeons... And then at Jesus' baptism, the very same word, no difference whatsoever in the original Greek, is translated as dove. Because we can't help but live our life painting some things as good and some things as bad. We're a visual people. Uh, We are living in an increasingly uh, visual world where we are bombarded by images that shape uh, what we think about, what we are stimulated by, and uh, how we see the world. Uh, We are people who look at a white dove and think, ah, that symbolizes freedom, hope, peace. And we look at a pigeon and we think, I hope that thing doesn't make a nest on my house. But what if the Holy Spirit had come in the form of something that actually was awkward for the people of that time too? Isn't it more like God to take something, our chaos and our darkness, and transform it so that we can see that he is the God that transforms the things that we, uh, we cannot see properly because of chaos and our sin and what have you? And that he turns us to, to see that he is the God who overcomes chaos. It's so interesting that um, actually the image of God as a bird is not a rare one in the Bible. These are some kind of highlights that we can look at. God is the God who uh, is often described as the one who stretches out his wing over his people. Throughout the Psalms, we see that, Psalm 36, 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In Deuteronomy, it says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And of course, we see that Jesus himself, amazing, uses the image of a chicken, I mean, for some of us, that might be offensive too, Um, but Matthew 23, 37, Oh, Jerusalem, he says, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? I think most profoundly, we can read at the beginning of the whole of the canon of the Bible that we have in Genesis, we read that God at creation, where there is darkness, and uh, and where 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 there is darkness and void, chaos is is the meaning of those things, and uh, and the spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters, over the deep. That word hovers uh, is is the word for brooding. It's a bird word. (laughs) And here is one of our clearest pictures of God. You can forget about, you know, pigeons or doves, but, but concentrate on what the Holy Spirit does in that moment. The Spirit of God hovers over the chaos, broods over the chaos, like a, like a bird stretching out its wing over the chaos. It isn't part of the chaos. It hasn't willed the chaos it is just present over the chaos, the evil, the darkness that has emerged. And then God says something very profound. Does, any, does anybody remember what God says? The first thing he says at creation? Do you want to be bold? Shout it out. Let there be light. Let there be light. The spirit hovers like a bird over chaos. And then God the Father speaks, let there be light. And at Jesus' baptism, we see something also incredibly, um, the echoes of that first encounter with God at creation. We see that Jesus enters into the waters. And as he comes out of the waters, The Spirit descends on him like a dove or a pigeon, but like the Holy Spirit. And then the Father speaks. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. These encounters are called theophanies. It's a great word to learn, theophany. And uh, it just means a visible um, place where God reveals himself to like humanity. A theophany. And we find within this theophany that there is this intimate relationship between God the Father who speaks, but we don't see. Jesus, who is there in flesh and blood, entering into the waters, not because he's done anything wrong, but because he takes on the sin of the world in order to be uh, raised out of the waters and offer us new life. He dies to our sin, in order to be raised again. And we see the Holy Spirit bringing together this work of the Trinity. It's a theophany because all three persons of the Trinity are there. Now my real love, and this isn't a confession, this is a declaration to you, my real love is the Trinity of God. I love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because I have seen them at work in this amazing way. And my experience of the father is that he does truly say and declares, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And I know way better than you will ever know how crazy that is that God would say that to me. I have not earned that I have done so much that would mean that I, have been di- I should be disqualified from the love of a father. And yet, God the Father says to me, I am well pleased. I love you. Before you can do anything, I love you. Before you even knew that I loved you, I loved you. And he says the same to you. Son, daughter, I love you. I am well pleased with you. Whatever you are carrying or have been carrying for years, you can let it go because I love you. My perfect love casts out your fear, your sin, your brokenness. And I have experienced the spirit. I have been filled to the point of shaking, Uh, not that that has to be an evidence of it, you don't have to shake, but I have experienced that because I have been overcome by what it means for the Holy Spirit to hover over my life expectantly. I came to faith when I was 22, I came back to faith, and I am aware that for that whole time, for those 22 years, the Spirit hovered over the chaos of my life. Where is God hovering over your life still? Where was he hovering over your life? What is your testimony of the Holy Spirit waiting patiently, ready to break through, to bring light into your darkness, to allow your ears to hear, your eyes to see? And I have experienced Jesus because I have experienced what it means to follow the one who still speaks to us today, who still gives us authority to carry on in his mission, which is to heal, to save, to deliver the world. I have experienced Jesus speaking to other people, breaking into their life in the most miraculous ways, speaking to them before they'd even met a Christian. I have experienced Jesus, and I think you have too my encouragement to you this morning, the image of the pigeon, uh, which you can be divided on, whatever your opinion might be, Uh, but my desire for you is that when you see a pigeon now, maybe it's after you kind of give a shudder if you're somebody who really doesn't like pigeons, but you will ask the question, what is God doing? Where is the Holy Spirit hovering in my life? You know the profound thing about these rock pigeons, this specific type of pigeon, which actually does come in right loads of different uh, kind of colors and all of that stuff is that they love to make their home in dark places. That is where they nest. And that is what God is like. God is not like a white dove who has been cultivated and kept Aside, rented out for special occasions, kept pure in that way. God is available for everybody. God is the one who chooses because he is holy and his holiness is like untouchable. But he tries to communicate to us through Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the testimony of the scriptures that his holiness is trying to push into our reality, that we too might be people clothed in his holiness, made holy by him. God is the one who chooses to make his home in dark places because he wants to birth light in the darkness. You know, the beginning of creation, here is the Holy Spirit hovering. Here is God the Father speaking, let there be light. And who do we know the light is? Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. God the Father at the very beginning says, let there be Jesus. And so we are given this gift that through him we might know what it is to look at the world, which is broken, often thought of as, you know, ugly. There are so many different things going on where we see the world's brokenness. We see the broken choices of human beings and in fact where we don't know who to trust. We are in the tension of how to trust even our neighbors. And here is the God who says, I want to come and take whatever is chaotic and transform it.